Welcome to yet another episode of uh, Blade Talk. Yeah, episode 10, featuring our good mate, Mr. Philip Shrey from Forged in Fire. Uh, no idea what episode. Um, technology is kicking my ass today. I wanted to do a whole introduction video that I wanted to play, and it won't allow me. Mm -hmm. Okay, but anyway, so that's me. This is Blade Talk. Let's get to it. Gentlemen, welcome in the house. Good morning. Right, so, excellent. Philip, how are you doing, buddy? Wonderful, man. How are y'all? Can't complain, can't complain. So we're going to start off with, sorry, I've changed the format completely. All right, so you are going to get into the hot seat, both of you guys. Look at that face, Stuart Smith, buddy. That's what I'm liking, yeah? All right, so I've got to play with the software. And for the guys that didn't know, we are currently doing Blade Talk, yeah? So we're going to start off, Mr. Smith. Philip, I want to put you on the spot, buddy. Go for it. Oh, you're not going to him. All right, so... It's joke of the daytime. Joke of the day. Yeah. How it can does be the moon... a really lame, I'm, I'm lame joke. How does the okay. moon get his haircut? How does the moon get his haircut? Yeah. How? He clips it. God. With <laughs> uh, some, some gentle humor right there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a five-year-old, man. I have a five-year-old. I'm heavily invested. I'm heavily invested in the jokes of the day. <laughs> oh, excellent. I love I've, got, that. I've got the reading digest online joke here so that I'm not put on the spot ever again and I can't fucking think of anything. So I've got all the jokes sitting here. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I've memorized like five or six knock-knock jokes. That That's it. I suck at telling jokes. <laughs> I'll, I'll screenshot a couple of pages for you. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, so uh, we've already got uh, guys coming through with comics, uh, comments. And uh, so I'll just pull them up. Oh, man, I like to see that Facebook is playing game. Yeah. All right. Then we've got uh, Mark. How's it going, buddy? And then Mr. Steve Katz. How's it going, buddy? Right. So now, obviously, there is a, is a bit of a thing um, with you having like snipped off the beard yeah yeah all right yeah. so we're gonna go into another little snippet that is uh who are you again <laughs> and i want to ask you brother all right uh so start from how did you get into knife making all right um, and then uh hold on, hold on um we want to do like the the bio thing so name surname social security number uh credit card number message me that little code at the back of the card number. Yeah, don't, don't say that on air. Um, and then uh, what else is there? Yeah, uh, I want you to introduce the, the mini dragon there in the background. Yeah, um, yeah. and then yeah. we just, we'll take it from there. Okay. My name's Philip right. Shry. Uh, I'm a bladesmith, obviously. I'm the winner of Fortune Fire uh, episode uh, 17 of season six. It was the Partisan Spear. And that aired back in 
in June of last year, I think. Um, most of you know me by having a beard that's, you know, down to here. Um, the promo pick, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and, you know, I, I want it back. It'll, it'll grow back. Um, long story short, I got shingles on my face. So I had to shave it off and do, you know, ointment treatments and acupuncture and all that kind of stuff. I got a pretty gnarly scar under the beard right there where it started eating through my chin. So had to oh, shave man. the beard for that. And, the... <laughs> and here's the little dragon. What's your name? Aurora. Aurora. Oh, you're going to get camera shot. <laughs> this is my daughter. She's she's oh, also oh, oh, a uh, forged in fire uh, uh, appearance guest. She got she got some airtime on the team. I saw that, especially where she wiped out the section that she shouldn't have. Exactly. Oh, you erased. Yeah, erase the section uh, out of your drawing. Yeah, man. Uh, okay, so that was you. How did you How did you get into bladesmithing, buddy? So my background. I mean, I'm, as you can see, I'm kind of decent at video production type stuff, right? So my, my background, my degree is actually in audio engineering and video production. And I worked in one of the largest recording studios here in Houston, Texas for a couple of years. Uh, and I just kind of figured out if you don't own a studio, you're not going to make any money. And I didn't have, you know, $7 million to buy all the equipment, literally $7 million. Um, the board, board I worked on, we bought from George Lucas and every bit of sound that went into Phantom Menace was recorded on yeah. that board that I worked on for two years. So $7 million board, $7.2 million board. You, you can but, see that Stuart is really impressed. Stuart, we need a really impressed face there. I, I, might, I might have something for you, Stuart, actually. I think I've got a, um, I've got a trailer reel, uh, a film trailer reel. I might, a Phantom Menace. If I can find that, it's, I'll just, it's in a box, man. It's yours. Star Wars stuff. We approve stuff. Now so according to the world, Stuart will be going to uh, Blade uh, to sell knives. In actual fact, he will be going to collect a uh, Star Wars reel. There you go. <laughs> it's yours, man. Name uh, on it is yours. It's yours. So I, I okay, just so, I figured uh, out that I couldn't make money. Wrong freaking button. You can see this is really professional, right? Of course. Sorry, man. You All right, buddy. I just, I couldn't make okay, money so, yet. So I, I have this entrepreneur mindset. I just wanted to do something. Well, I got I to gotta do something. So I, I've had like five failed businesses and I had my daughter. She's five. So about five years ago, it just started in my mind. It's like, what am I going to do, man? I got to, got to feed my family kind of thing. And I was watching YouTube one day and I saw some, you know, 15, 16 year old kid bang out a knife. And I'm like, I've, I've got everything this kid had in the garage right now. Let's just go do it. See, you know, fun, whatever. If it doesn't work out. It's a hobby. Fine. Turned out pretty decent, in my opinion, not knowing anything. Then uh, did a little more research and started seeing, you know, what people were charging for really good knives, diving into that market research okay. aspect of it. And I was like, okay, it's plausible. And then I'm blaming everything else from here on out on you. I found you. <laughs> and it just it just snowballed, man. It just snowballed. Everything that I was watching on all your videos, your instruction stuff, um, it, it just snowballed from there. Um, and then a couple of years after that, you know, slowly building the skill. I'm still slowly building the skill, but we all are. Um, we all are. I, I, I found Forge and Fire and 
just watched a couple episodes of those and was like, man, that'd be fun. And a couple of years later, I just applied and got on and had the time of my life. Damn, dude. I actually watched the episode again uh, uh, yesterday, yeah, just to be up to speed. And, and I've got it set up right here on my freaking laptop where it doesn't want to share the screen. Officially, my stance is that Firefox sucks. sucks. <laughs> That's it, man. Go, go to Chrome. Yeah, done. Chrome. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I never trust Facebook comments. That's all I can say. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. So we've got the, this issue where uh, the software I'm using, and one of the solutions the guy suggested that I use a different browser, and he suggested Firefox because this is the browser that he runs. Um, so I installed it. I had to restart my system right before we did this, which is something you never do. Don't fuck with the setup before anything. Yeah. And we're going to take never. that whole analogy and take it into Forge and Fire in a moment. Uh, but anyway, hey, we go live. What's it? Three minutes. Three minutes uh, before air, I actually got into the system, and I can't share the freaking screen. Yeah. So sorry, guys. So, Philip, man, I had this entire little. I edited your episode right um, into a three-minute intro. So all the nice. really nice. crappy things that happened to you <laughs> was like. <laughs> <laughs> I had. It was, so it was so fun. It's so stressful. I just stressful. I was going to be out the first round. The game plan was just don't have fun. I am. But anyway, um, so on, on Forge and Fire, yeah, uh, you, you see these guys, and myself and Stuart have, have discussed this numerous times. You see these guys going on to Forge and Fire, and it is a $10,000 knife that you're making. Mm -hmm. Even in round one, you're still making a $10,000 knife. Yeah, and I, I think you actually mentioned that um, uh, during the, the round one or round two. Uh, you mentioned something. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this is a $10,000 knife. Um, so you're going to go for what, I can't remember what it was, man. But anyway, but I realized that you, they know that you actually mentioned that. But on previous episodes um, and, and during the course, we, we see guys getting in there. Um, and then guys that have been doing this for years, well-known makers, unknown makers. Um, and uh, they get there and they see someone doing something, one of the competitors, and all of a sudden, everyone wants to do that. Monkey see, monkey Even do. if it's something is never done before. Yep. Which obviously blows my mind completely. Why there, do you there, there's one you thing think? that I can say about that show, and it's it's you're, you're not going on a show to make a knife. You're not going on a show to to, to showcase how awesome of a bladesmith you are. It's that Nerd. stupid red clock up in the corner. <laughs> that it's not the three other guys you're competing with. It's not the challenge ahead of you Nerd. that you're competing against. It's that clock. How well can you handle stress? That's why you've got master smiths who've been doing this for 20, 30 years go on and look like morons because they're not used to banging something out in three hours. They're taking three weeks. Yeah. You can't so, be a master yes. smith in three hours. You can be a master smith in three weeks. Exactly. Yes, and I'm Bert Foster, having said that, Bert Foster made a show-worthy knife at the end of his episode, which was bloody impressive. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, we all can't be Bert Foster. Right. I really want to, and, and and if I can't be him, I really want him to adopt me. But <laughs> he said no. I asked. 
<laughs> right, but anyway, dude. Um, so, uh, did you do it? And then realize what, obviously, going into this, thinking about it, should I do this, should I not do this, what can it mean for my business, blah, 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 from a marketing promotional point of view. Yeah. Definitely. Even Definitely. You obviously considered even if you didn't make it, if you didn't win, did you have a game plan for that? Absolutely. So, like, like I said, the, the, the whole point of going was just to go have fun. That was, the, that was number, priority slot number one, right? I'm, I'm thinking yeah. at that time, nobody knows who I am. Um, I'm still developing the skill. So what do I really have to lose? I go on and I look like an idiot, but I've got a little bit of experience. Yeah, I can still recuperate from that later on in the years. I can take it and say, hey, I've been on the show. I looked horrible, but here's how I progressed. So now I have a proper product or I fixed those issues that came up in the show. So that crossed my mind. And then, but I mean, to tell you the truth, winning never crossed my mind. That was not, I was not prepared for that because I was thinking with the limited amount of skill that I have, I've got a one in four chance. There are three other people that are going to be better than me. So I'm not going to win. That, that so was really stupid. happens and I'm like, whoa, okay, we're uncharted territory here. What's going on? Overnight, because you know, I was, the, the first round is, is recorded one night or one day. Round yeah. two is recorded the next day. Overnight, back at the hotel room, I'm in the hotel thinking, "Oh crap, what what do I do?" So I'm I'm, I'm rethinking <laughs> stuff. I'm rethinking stuff. <laughs> and what's Excellent, like? man. Having, uh, being surrounded by cameramen and production people trying to tell you what to do so that they can get the best angle. I've spoken to Mace and um, Matt and and a couple of other guys, and they all just said, "You basically have to get used to them and tell them to fuck off so that you can get the job done." Pretty much, I, that, like I said, my background is, is a little different than most because I'm, I'm used to this production stuff. I'm used to 30 cameras. Really, I counted 26 cameras all shine, you know, in different angles at one point in time. Exactly. Um, this stuff doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm used to it. Uh, each of us is assigned one guy that's on camera that is literally 12 inches away from you most of the time. And when you're pulling you know, hot steel out of the forge and he's standing right where you're about to go, I was polite enough because I was thinking ahead. I was like, I'm coming your way, man. You're going to need to move. So get ready for it. And as I'm pulling out, I'm like, go. And he moves. There were only two times where it really got in my face. And I'm like, you, you need to back up. You need to back up. So we worked and it that, out pretty That's well, the dude with the camera? Yeah. Okay. So that's the guy with all the close shots. But I've also uh, read uh, – <laughs> man, I spent a lot of time online. Yeah. Um, and I read it in one of the, the, the forums where um, David uh, Baker, Barker, Baker, Baker yeah. David Baker commented, dude, what a, what a gentleman, man. Mm. He is. If He's I grow guy. up, I want to be him. He is. Seriously. Uh, but anyway, so long story short, um, he mentioned that there's, aside from the four contestants, there's uh, uh, four contestants and the four judges, there's about 60, 60 other people in that area. So aside from the area that we're seeing, sorry, this, this layout is freaking me out at that. So aside from the area that we're seeing on camera, how big is that, that studio? Oh, uh, man, I'm not good at judging square footage, but I'd, I'd say a minimum of 10,000 square feet. I mean, yeah, that means nothing to the rest of the world. Yeah. Aside from Americans. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, Oh yeah, because you're uh, other system. <laughs> that other system. 
Yeah, we're, we're on the real measuring system. The, the real one. I, I mean, it's... It's big. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to uh, relate it to. So I mean, think, a, a standard size house. It's, uh, it's probably four to five standard size houses. Wow. So if you think uh, baseball court, it's about the size of a tennis court. Tennis court. It's probably the size of two, maybe two and a half tennis courts. Wow. Because the way they've got it laid out, you know, you got your main view of, of the shop. And then directly over to the other side uh, is, is where they do all the testing uh, on, on the show. And then behind that are other studios where you do your, your single one, you know, your talking head interviews. Uh, and then they've got a little green room for all the contestants that are, you know, not doing anything or not being recorded. We have lunch in there, that kind of stuff. They've got another room uh, where they're they're isolating the individual knife on that spinning mirror, um, and then behind where you know, they don't do it anymore, but the room that they used to do the deliberations and, and critique the knives behind that room is where you have all the technical stuff. And we weren't allowed in there, but you could kind of see off in the distance. And that, that's another pretty, pretty large room where it's, you know, all the camera feeds are going back to, to when to cut, how to cut, where to record, all that kind of stuff. Producers are back there. It's, it's a pretty big size operation. And I'm not, I'm not gonna give it away, but it's so, it's so inconspicuous. It's hidden. If you're, you, everybody knows it's in Connecticut. But you'll never yeah. find it, where it is, how it's located. It's so brilliant the way they, they have it hidden. So you can't just drive by and know, hey, that's the Fortune Fire Studio. You'd never know. Cool. Damn, man. What about food? Did, huh. did, did they serve you good food there while you're waiting? They, they gave us lunch when we're on set, which honestly is pretty bad. It was not that great. Um, <laughs> and then they, they gave us a little bit of little bit of money for dinner you know after we're off set we you know go into town or whatnot and we had some sushi which that's that's that wasn't bad that wasn't bad the sushi the sushi. The sushi well i love sushi man serious oh yeah yeah me too yeah yeah I, 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 I know see the kids sushi, the kid loves sushi. uh travel food but is is there another one? so when you okay. drive <laughs> long distances all right, um, and uh, your wife decides to do uh, some food to have in the car. What do you refer to that that food to as? What do you call like it? Snacks, snack food, snacks. Yeah, it's like when you go hiking, you've got trail snacks. Yeah. When you go driving, what do you what do you refer to it as? Driving snacks. No, we just call them snacks. Snack food. We call it. Oh, okay. Loosely translated. food. Yeah. Um, road food. Road food. Not roadkill. Road <laughs> no. Well, you know, we, we, I live in Texas, so roadkill, snack food, yeah, kind of the same thing. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing, that. depending on how desperate you are. <laughs> no, that's a normal right, way so of life. Had a, right a, a huge... Uh, to visit Kevin and Heather Harvey. And uh, mm -hmm. he, uh, he said, right, let's go. We're going to spend the day there. I said, great. And I said, I'll pack some potboss for us. And I made, oh, a buttload of, um, uh, what was it, uh, Avo Marky Rolls. And uh, and I packed them all nice and neatly. I got soy sauce and everything. And we got in the car. And Niels was driving. And I said, here you go, have some potkos. And he goes, what? 
and I fed him sushi for about 30 kilometers <laughs> and we polished off all the sushi. And he says, geez, man, I need to tell yes. you more often. Patkos is good. <laughs> yeah, dude, but we, 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 we need to uh, limit these stories. Yeah? Yeah. Because what happens on the road to Belfast stays on the road to Belfast. <laughs> Same thing I mean, the, is what happens in the hotel room at Blaze Show stays in the hotel room at Blaze Show. Yeah, I've slept with way too many male bladesmiths um, over the last couple of years. <laughs> it's not doing my reputation any good. Um, you and I used to go and see Kevin and Helena in one car, but we arrived in another. That was the, that was the funniest part. <laughs> you remember that? Yes, it was. Um, my, my truck broke down uh, about, what, but 40 the, kilometers in... In India, yeah, about a third of the way there. So my wife came through, uh, picked us up. We went home, dropped her off, took her car, and then started all over again. <laughs> but we, were, we weren't going to miss that one because that was the, the start of the 10-day uh, introduction to bladesmithing class. Um, the first official class to be held in South Africa by Master Smith Kevin and Heather uh, Harvey, uh, nice. accredited by the American Bladesmith Society. Nice. And uh, yeah. although myself and Stuart were making knives at that time, I, I just turned full-time. Uh, Stuart was doing it for like 508 years already. Um, and, and we went there and, man, we missed like three quarters of day one, which was cool. Um, I missed but the by clinker. The end of day two, we were about three days ahead of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but that was cool. That was cool. So I don't think I made a, a little overlay for this. Um, so marketing-wise, sorry, you, you'll see we, we kind of can't stay on track. I need to do a squirrel. Stay on track or a squirrel little overlay. Um, so from a marketing perspective, and, and I can now hide behind the microphone. Uh, from a marketing perspective, it was good. Yeah, it was. The sales bumped up a little bit. And I think the most thing, which the biggest thing that I was wanting was just notoriety. And I don't mean like fame notoriety, but but brand brand notoriety. And it worked. And it couldn't, you know, time wise, it could not have 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 been placed better because the episode aired one week after Blade Show, so I got to really? go promote it Blade. So that it worked out very well. Excellent. Would have been better if it was a week before Blade, though. Probably. Oh, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, man. So now, okay, it, but anyway, so timing, we could do nothing about. Uh, the the biggest uh, reiteration of that whole thing is, well, the situation we're stuck in now. Yeah, You can account for anything and everything except for a virus, apparently. Right. All right. So uh, just on, on the marketing thing, um, this is a section we called Shameless Plugging. Yeah. Where's the Shameless Plug logo? I need to do that, but it's going to cover the freaking stuff. So, shameless plug. Here we go. And we'll do it again. All right. So, any other shameless plugs you want to do? Yeah, man. I just started a YouTube channel. So, the mundane <laughs> rock star. The mundane rock the star. The mundane rock star. So, I, I kind of had yeah. this idea. Like I said, I've had so many failed businesses. Like you know, I got to diversify. I got to do something. Bladesmithing's working out really well right now. It's slow because everything going on in the world, disposable income, that kind of stuff. It's not not that great. Um, 
but I got time and I'm just banging out blades, building inventory. And I thought, let's do something else that I can help not only in that marketing, um, but I've, I've got a lot. You can obviously tell I like to talk a lot. I like to do <laughs> motivational speaking and help other people. I've, I've got a big heart. I, I like helping. So I kind of ad adapted this idea of the mundane rock star. What is that? Well, it's every, every mundane life, everyday life. It, it just gets mundane, but you still can live it like a rock star. It's all in your head. However you live life, it's an attitude that you have. So take the most mundane thing that you do. You, you know, you don't have a lot of money. You, you don't have an awesome job, but you can still have an awesome lifestyle. You can have an awesome positive mind. So I, that, that's kind of what that channel's gravitating towards. Uh, obviously, there's going to be blade making in it. My daughter's going to be in it, making stuff with me. It's just kind of our, I don't want to call it a vlog because it's not a vlog. But it is our life, how we live our life, how we stay positive and other, you know, key motivational tips and stuff like that to help help everybody through the day and live a rock star lifestyle, even though you may think it's mundane. That's very cool. Well, who cares what other people think? Yeah. Okay. So that, but anyway, um, if you watch my last motivation. I know, I know, I know. So once again, hiding behind the mic. So I'm going to go into the mic and I'm going to say, how do you, buddy, get your ass out of bed every day, stay positive especially if you've got a looming deadline um and obviously with deadlines come pressure and family life and the whole thing how do you get your ass off the couch how do you stay focused uh getting off the couch and waking up that's not a hard part i, I try and wake up between 4 and 5 a.m every day that's that's just what i do that's part of my schedule that helps me keep things in line if you wake up early now, now you need to convince Stuart why conv convince why everybody's different. Don't, don't get me wrong. I used to be a horrible insomniac and I wouldn't go to bed until four o'clock. Now look at I this. Stuart is dying over here, right? He is absolutely so dying. I mean, I think he actually woke up 10 minutes to go. <laughs> I found... Sorry, Stuart. Go get it, Stuart. Go. No, I said you say things like wake up at four and five o'clock in the morning and my brain shuts down. I just start getting tired. It, I think that's it, the time you go to bed. Uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> it, it took some time. I had to, I had to go through a, a transition period for sure. I mean, I, I wasn't like waking up at four o'clock one day, right when I went to bed at four o'clock the previous day. It, it took a couple of months, but I found for me that when I made that transition, my mind was so much sharper. My body responded too. I lost a ton of weight, and I just felt so much better. Um, and, and the day just progressed in a much more positive way. I was able to be more productive, more creative. Things just worked and felt better. So I've kept that waking up early. Um, but it, it, it gives you a little more time in the morning to focus and plan out the day. You know, you, yeah, we all, we've all got schedules. We know what we're doing. But you can, get, you can look, look at it a little closer under a microscope and say, well, I can, I can shave five minutes here. I can, I can add 10 minutes there kind of stuff. At least that's what works for me. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that, man. I'm glad to hear that. All right. So that was motivation. All right. So what gets your ass off the, the chair to actually step into the workshop? Um, this new mundane rock star thing that you got going. Dude, I like it. And I believe I was the first subscriber. Yeah, and if I wasn't, I'm going to stick to that story. First subscriber and first comment. Just say yes. I go, you were. You were. I'm oh, deeply excellent. appreciative of that. You were excellent, excellent. So, so the the collaboration project is back on the table. All right. <laughs> oh, look at that! There's the other minion. 
This is yeah. my teenage daughter. Hi. She's 13. Mind is you, that arranged marriage thing still still on the cards? <laughs> what? Good one. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and they were both, uh, my son and his daughter were just born. Um, and uh, I can't remember who mentioned it. Um, I, th- I think it was you. It said we can, we can pick our, 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 our parents-in-laws, yeah? So we can do an arranged yeah. marriage thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it hasn't worked out, man. It hasn't worked out. Yeah. So apparently arranged marriage is just... You can't make that arrangement just when they were born and forget about it. You yeah, have to yeah. apparently plan. So that kind of moves me into into planning. Yeah. Um, and then I look planning design, uh, and you can spin design as as design your life, design a knife, blah blah blah, whichever way you want. But I need for you to talk to me um, not about equipment, but about design your design process yeah on anything anything i'd I'd like for you to focus on knife making as this is kind of blade talk all right uh shop design and i know that uh after forge and fire you went through uh a a bit of a redesign a relayout of your shop so let's let's talk about that ever so slightly uh if you if you watch go watch the show and and see what little amount of equipment i had and then, you know, watch a live stream and see what I have now. Um, I spent I spent some money. I had a bit saved up, and then I combined it with the, the prize money. I I don't want to say how much I spent, but it considerable amount of money. I thought a after winning it, load. it was kind of more of this. Okay, it's no longer a hobby. You know, even though I'm already doing it <laughs> full time, let's it, drop some money in it. Let's let's get legitimate with what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I I dropped some money on some equipment. <laughs> Uh, okay, so just on that equipment, you said the word, so there we go. Now we migrate from design into equipment. So you now need to work two things here, right? Um, so design the layout of the shop, the thinking behind it. Uh, if you want to do another pun uh, or a punt, yeah, just let me know and I'll bring the mic up. If you want to uh, talk about uh, specific kiln suppliers or forge suppliers or press suppliers or blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Are you running any sponsorships or not? I, I have one that's technically not a sponsorship, but they have treated me so stinking good. I can't help but plug their name everywhere. And that's Paragon. Paragon oh. has treated me amazing. They, the, 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 the people, Todd Locash, who's the owner, CEO, I don't know what his technical title is, president, whatever. Dude's a solid oh, guy. Uh, I went to tour the facility. They're just up in Dallas, which isn't far from where I'm at. And, you know, they a big, massive chalkboard when you walk in the front door and they put, you know, awesome, cool graphic. Welcome, Philip Shry and family kind of stuff on there. They're just really awesome people. And they gave me some really good, you know, I can't refuse that kind of offer kind of stuff. Um, I got a, an 18 inch uh, double barrel, double wide. And then also got and I think I'm the only one in the world currently that has it. I've got the, I think it's 58-inch Double Barrel Pro Series. That's a beast. They treated oh, me really double well. Double Barrel. It's, it's, it's a monster. When you say Double Barrel, you need to explain, dude. They, well, their, their size, I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but the dimension of the opening, I think it's only, their single is six inches wide. The, the double's 12. 
So you can you can just fit Ooh, more. Okay. All right. You can fit more. All right. Um, uh, but yeah, not not a technical sponsor. There's nothing legal worked out there, but great people, and I just throw them out there as much as I can. Now, equipment and, and design, obviously they looked after you when you were there, and uh, part very, of the family. Yeah? Yes, very much. So, extremely equipment important design. building yeah. long-term relationships with your suppliers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll back up now. Equipment and and design. There to me, they're three things I always take into account when I'm designing something. One is equipment wise. You know, what do I have, what I need to actually you know, be successful in making this um, pattern welded steel, sand my whatever. I, I need proper temperature and I need proper smushing capability, right? Yep. Um, so that's that's thing number one. Thing number two is the client. What, what does the client want? So we back and forth, I'll sketch some stuff out, send it to the client, they like it, great, we go. They don't, we'll work it back and forth until they do. Thing number three is, what do I like? What am I making for me, right? What have I done as far as market research to figure out this is what's going to sell, this is what people want, how am I going to twist it to have my personal flair on it? Um, so those are the three things. Okay, so um, I'm going to stop you right there on that point. Yeah. Um, I like the process. Uh, one thing I just need to clarify in my mind is – uh, uh, that entire process, you've now combined, in my mind, which is building stock that you like for sale, and then the approach you have with taking custom orders from a client. Correct. Two separate okay. situations. All right. Cool. Carry on, sir. I, I mean, that, that's basically it. Is I that go it? through that. I get the design down. Um, if it's if it's something that I would consider my production line, I've only got maybe four or five that I think are production. Um, I've got templates they're you know in the shop and I'll forge them out depending on what it is. I do both stock removal and forging. so it depends on what the knife is. Um, once it's forged or once it's stock removed, I always go back to my template to make sure it's within the you know the parameters that I need. If it's customer based, sketch everything out and I'll create a template, a physical template. Um, out of that, and I'll constantly be going back to make sure that it fits that template so the customer is going to be happy with it ultimately. Okay, and uh, talking on, on... Sorry, how do you feel sorry, Steve, go. about making something that somebody else designed? Are you, you mean like the, the moral, do I do that? Or do you mean like how, how do I actually successfully do that? Okay, so I... Okay this, okay, this is my perspective, right? My perspective is if I get a design from a customer and I make that knife, it is now a knife made by Stuart Smith. But if you line it up with the rest of my knives, it looks like nothing that I make on a regular basis. So when a customer comes to me and they say, oh, can you make this design? I say, I could, but all you're going to get is a knife made by Stuart Smith. You're not going to get a Stuart Smith knife, okay? So in the beginning, when I was desperate for orders, sure, I took other decline sorry people i'm busy on live cross so somebody's phoning me um so if a customer came to me with a design in the beginning i would say yes of course i i need money i've got bills to pay i will make what he wants so if you look at my early knives there are a lot of strange and different designs out there whereas i've been doing it long enough now i've established a, a form and a shape and a specific style of knife and a method and if you take my knife and you put it up against five other similar knives, you should be able to pick my knife out quite easily, like you can with Kevin Harvey. You can do it with Niels's daggers. You can... Niels, what are you doing? <laughs> Hello. 
But now, then when you become successful enough and you become known enough, then would you still then go back and make somebody else's design? Is it part of your business philosophy or is it something that you avoid? No, I, I, I'm not there yet. I don't take many of those types of situations. Um, even early on, though, I, I don't know everybody in this industry and I don't know what their signature styles are yet. I know some. And if somebody came to me and said, make me this knife, but I knew it looked like something that, that you made. I'd try and send them to you and say, I think this maker would be more suited for what you're looking for because that's what you do. Um, if you want one of my knives, I'll be happy to make it for you if you're going to be stubborn like that. Or you can take something that's got more of my personal flair on it. Um, I just kind of take those at a, at a case by case basis. Generally, I don't like doing that, though. I, I like sending it to that person that's specifically doing that. That, that okay, well, style, the feeling, that look. The feeling I get sometimes, okay, this is, so say somebody sees uh, uh, every, uh, every recognizable shape, like a Jason Knight cookery, right? Now, Jason Knight cookery is like broad bladed, giant leaf blade, got a nice deep puller in it, got a very, very does, um, distinctive handle shape. And somebody will come to me and say, oh, can you make me a Jason Knight style cookery? And they're coming to me for one of two reasons. One, they can't afford a Jason Knight cookery and they want it made cheaper. Or two, they just can't get one from Jason Knight. I don't think this is a shameless plug. It is. <laughs> Jason Knight. Jason Knight. Knight Studios. Go and visit the man, yeah? It's also ABS Mastersmith. Jason Knight, yeah. I, sh- anyway, I should so have a, 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 a little... Then, sorry. It then says to me icon. as well that they don't think much of my knives but they think that they don't like my designs but they think that i have the skill to reproduce something that somebody else has made and in a way that's kind of a, a kick in the gut saying you know we like your knives but not enough to buy them what you make but we want you to make something that somebody else makes you know so right. that's why generally when somebody comes to me and says can you make a knife that looks like so-and-so's knife i say well why don't you go to so-and-so and buy it and their first answer is oh it's too expensive okay and it's rightly so because it's a popular design, it's a popular knife. You can't buy a Jerry Fisk knife for love or money. You know, you could sell one of your kids and you're not going to get one, all right? And, and if you're thinking guy, at a show, you're actually yeah. going to be able to pick it up? Yeah, no. Yeah, not even, not even his wife's allowed to touch them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in a little glass display case. That's it. Yeah. yeah. But, but anyway, sorry, sorry, Stuart. Yeah, this is a valid point. Yeah, somebody was going to come to me and say, can you make me a Jerry Fisk style knife? Now, first of all, I actually like the Jerry Fisk style hunters. They're really nice. Very classic, very classy. The problem is, as soon as I make one, somebody says, oh, that's just like a Jerry Fisk knife. Right. And they don't even think of, oh, Stuart made that. But if you look at my Pucos, although a Puko is a generic style knife, I've got a distinctive handle shape and a distinctive blade shape. So when you put one of my knives amongst a plethora of other Pucos, you can say, hey, that's a Stuart Smith Puko, you know? So I've, I've, I've made the classic design of a Puko my own, you know? I've added my flair and my finish and my uh, combination of materials. So I've made it my own. So this is what a lot of guys do when they start making knives is they imitate other, other knife makers, which I did for a long time. And I still do to a degree. I, uh, I, I follow my uh, mentor, Kevin Harvey. I love the knives he makes. And I will 
duplicate to a degree the knife that he makes, but I put my own. No, no, not duplicate. You, you will use his blade or his design with his permission as inspiration. That is a different from from uh, from duplicating. So I just wanted and to point I, that out. Uh, it doesn't duplicate. And okay, if he sees something on someone else's knife that uh, he actually likes, then um, yeah. he will ask. Yeah. So that's just common yeah. courtesy. Uh, but I, I need for you to get to the point. What do you What do you tell guys when they approach you for uh, Stuart? Make me a Jerry first knife. You've got a standard saying that you always say. What is that? You tell them you can either buy. You can either buy a Stuart Smith yeah. knife or, or a knife made, knife made by Stuart Smith. Smith. Now, please explain and to the me. Stuart Smith knife is the one that you want. Exactly. Why? Because mm. the client has not no idea what he wants if he wants a Stuart Smith knife. Yeah. And the now, nice thing there is now. that you get to decide on the design and you obviously make the knife that you want to make, which is a lot better than making a knife that someone else wants you to make. Right. And more often than not, a customer has no idea what they want in a knife. They know what they think they want. That's it. And, and as soon as you start building that knife, and very politely go, no, no, that's not what you want. <laughs> and then they insist. And you know what? I did it once to prove a point. Customer came to me with a design and said, I have to have this design. And he was adamant that he wanted a warthog tooth handle, but the handle with the warthog tooth curving down to a 20 bit. Now, anybody who's used, it looks cool. It looks nice in the collection. No, it doesn't. But he took that thing and he went hunting with it. He says he worked with it for five minutes and he put it away. He says, that thing is so yes. uncomfortable. And I went to him, I told you so. I said, don't do it. And you wanted it. I did it. And I use that example now all the time for people who think they know knives but don't. Okay, so I'm just going to jump in here with uh, a bit of common sense. So <laughs> warthog tooth is exactly that. It is a tooth. Teeth is designed, it's evolved over millennia. Yeah. So if it gets moist, it goes slippery. Yep. Have you thought about that? Just do this. It's nice and slippery. So just think about this. You're taking that tooth, you're sticking it on a knife blade as a handle. And you want to go use that thing to skin. In other words, get blood on your hand on the tooth, which is then going to be slippery. If you cut your own finger off, it's your dumbass's fault. It's not the maker's fault, yeah? <laughs> so quit fucking asking for warthog tooth on a handle. I think number one, design wise, suck. Number two, it's it sucks. And number three, it sucks. It and I'm gonna call you stupid in your face if you ever want to do that. Yeah. And I've never seen high-end makers. I'm talking high-end makers. Yeah. Selling. Uh Sorry, gentlemen, selling that knife for real money. I'm talking real money. Yeah. The amount of time it takes to make that stupid-ass knife does not justify the time that the maker spends on it. doesn't matter how yeah. expensive you think yeah. as the buyer that knife is. It is not worth it. And then number two, aside from being a stupid-ass idea, yeah, it is a natural material. You cannot stabilize it because it's too dense. Don't be dense. Think about this. Yeah. You can't stabilize it. So it's going to move. Leave it on your, in your car in the sun. 
just for a day and then see what happens. Yeah, so even if you now yeah. own one of those, you can't take it fucking anywhere. Now, anywhere where there's sunshine in any case, where it's hot or it's humid, because the thing's going to move. And like no. a year later, the blade is loose. And people want to go, why? And all of a sudden, it's not the maker's fault. Now it is, oh, sorry, it's not, not the client's fault that insisted in that stupid-ass idea in the first place. No. Um, there's only one idea that's, that, that trumps this thing. Yeah, it's a Warthog-handled knife with a gut hook on it. <laughs> oh, God, now, no. I, I should have a rant thing. Okay, so if you're wondering what you're watching, this is Blade Show. No bullshit. I call it as I see it. Done. That's like the katana equivalent of African knives. Oh, so I, I need to do a, a shameless plug for Mr. Stuart Smith. If anyone in the world wants a katana with a blood groove, this oh, is what Stuart's... No. It's a speciality, yeah? In the States, you guys love uh, talking about that signature blade. That's Stuart's signature blade, man. No, it's not a thing. <laughs> but it's blood groove. I was just kicked off the Christmas list there. Eh? <laughs> no, no. I feel about blood, blood grooves the way Niels feels about uh, choils. It's not a toil. <laughs> That's a heel. Damn it. <laughs> he spat out his cigarette. And you know how scared cigarettes are. Dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go crawling under this bench now to go and find that cigarette. Whoa, whoa the Popo's back. How's it going, Po? How's it going? He'd got his, um, well, he got snipped yesterday. <laughs> so that's why he's being carried everywhere. He's not as, uh, um, I don't know, <laughs> responsive, as quick. Baritone's now. <laughs> so all three of the cats we adopted uh, six weeks ago, um, uh, they, they, they went snipping yesterday, and they all very, it looks like they're um, stalking something, anything, <laughs> since they came back. They've just been really quiet, <laughs> really laid back. So tell me, Philip, having having the title Forged in Fire Champion, does that give you clout amongst your fellow knife makers? I don't know. Does it? <laughs> no, I don't think yes, so. it, it does think on this so. side for the sheer fact that you uh, kicked ass under pressure, buddy, that you kept a level head. Yeah, that's what it's about. I saw you panicking and, there for a couple of uh, seconds. Yeah, you, Stevie, Stevie. Gl glad I, I didn't have that clip. Damn man, they they're just one of the cool things, and I, I like it. I get it. I understand why, but they want you to play up certain things. There's of course everybody says, "Oh, they made you look like you were the guy that that was scared." And, and no, I was playing a part. I was playing a part when um. A stupid decision. I I, I picked a, uh, I think it was Buckeye Buckeye Burl for for my first handle, and it snapped while I was drilling it. I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, we got plenty of time. I'll just go get another one. But I had to do that. Oh, I'm freaking out! This is horrible. It's because it's TV. <laughs> and uh, what does Forge and Fire do? Forge and Fire sells insurance. Yeah. Well, not Forge and Fire. There's the whole idea behind TV is yeah. to sell advertising yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. It is that 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if you did not know this by now, Forge and Fire is extremely entertaining. Yeah. Um, respect to any and everyone that is involved with this thing. And uh, myself and Stuart would both give our left nuts to be on the show. But what you need to realize is that Forge and Fire is not a fucking training program. Yeah? Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, carrying no, it's on. TV. It's team about anything goofy that you'd see on TV. It's no different. It's, how did I, how did, one of the, one of the producers or the public, the, the, the PA or personal assistant, I can't remember who, said that it is, it's 49% scripted and 51% talent. There's no out. They don't know the outcome. They don't script the outcome. Mm -hmm. But anything and everything that they can control to make good TV, they're gonna control it. Of course, it makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, if I'm paying ten thousand dollars for four monkeys to jump around, dude, I'm gonna make you fucking sweat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, another <laughs> thing <laughs> that, that that should be such a clear giveaway for anyone that has quenched anything. There's no fucking flames this high. Yeah, and you can yeah. see it in the reactions of the guys going in there with no glove, face over the, the quench trough, right? Sticking his blade in there, burning half his fucking beard off, and then going, whoa. So that's that, that funny thing. Really the like. producer, you know, after we come home and we're building it here, the producer that comes home, um, he says, Well, okay, how how can we set this up so so we can get this massive flame ball when we quench? I'm like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> My first quench. My first quench was that fireball quench, and I did not bring it up to a super high temperature. I didn't want to jack anything up. It was a very low temperature quench. So I quenched yeah. it down there, held it for barely a second, brought it right back yeah. out, right back into the forge to bring it up to proper temperature to quench right, staying in the oil. But they, oh, used, they used the first fireball. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. All so you, things. I can't remember that you did you still. I, I remember season one versus now season eight. Uh, season one, they had five days at the Home Forge. Right. And now all of a sudden, there's four days at the Home Forge. Right. So see, I think it stopped at season five. Um, they were doing five days at home and 45 hours total. Okay. From season six on, it's the four days and 35 hours total. So the first day they're here filming, they're, you know, they're setting up some stuff. So it's only a five hour work day. And then you've got the next three days are 10 hour work days. So a total of 35 hours. So that five days then is bullshit because you're just working to their schedule during that five day period. Well, it's, it's not even five days. It's from, from when I hours, left hours, the yeah. studio in Connecticut, to the time I went back to the studio in Connecticut, it was almost three, two and a half to three weeks. Okay. Because we we filmed here at the house over uh, Christmas, right after Christmas into New Year. Yeah. Um, so when oh, they yeah. say we'll see you in four days, well, it's not really four days. You get four days okay, for now. your time period, but it, it could be it could be a month. Okay, but okay. You actually, well, that makes it five days in a row. Yeah, I worked for four days in a row. My first day was a five-hour day. My next three days were ten-hour days. So four four days in a row. Okay, cool. okay so so uh, four and a half days you did. 
or three and a half days? Three and a half days. Three and a half days. Okay. Yeah. So you can't say, okay, fine. Well, I've got four days. Boys, you set up. While you're setting up, I'm actually going to start. So they've got a, a you, can, you can start now. Cameras are rolling. Right. Okay. And then as, as soon as they a, got everything set up, five and hours they say later, go, that's, that's when you go. Okay. And then five hours later, you can say, well, you guys can go home. I'm going to fucking continue working. 48 hour dagger build. Here we come. Yeah. Well, you you can continue working. You just can't work on that project. So when we're done filming for the day, they'll take a photo. That's not three days, man. That's not four days. Are you serious? Yeah, they'll take a photo. They'll go to the hotel. They'll do their own thing, and then they'll come back in the morning of the next day, and they'll look at that photo and look at the piece to make sure no progress was done overnight. Ah, oh, that's bullshit. So you you literally <laughs> got. 40, in my case, I had uh, 35 hours total. I didn't have whatever whatever four days times 24 is. I don't know what that is. Where it, but it wasn't that full yeah. time. It was only 35 hours. Is that, that's that's an incredible piece of insight, man. Because I'm always thinking, yeah. the fuck, boys? You, Dude, you, you thought it was like this? a legit four days, nonstop, just go for four yeah, days? Work 24 hours and through. that sword plus a fucking suit of armor. Um, yeah. <laughs> sleep and sanity is optional. Yeah? <laughs> Why do you think I started the whole 48-hour dagger build thing? Because you're, you're not how far you can push your concentration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they, I, mean, I was running. You get, you get your normal break. You get a, you know, if you're only working... 10 hours you got the rest of the day to Steve, whatever. I appreciate Sleep, all the comments that's 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 you that's you're doing man. Uh, you've obviously met Steve Kelly. yeah man. oh yeah yeah um there was one question that I want to get back to uh Sean Nadir said um if a new maker was then to exhibit something at a show that was copied from your styles would that offend you in any way uh, if you saw it, um, only if it didn't ask for advice, because you're copying it for a specific reason. Even if it's to to learn a technique or try something new, blah, blah blah. It's always better to just say, "Hey, buddy, I am doing this. I personally, I don't mind. I honestly don't mind. I'd much rather help you to make a better knife than I did, than have you make one of my designs and completely mm. fuck it up. Because then but I will just." Call your ass over the coals, and I will literally tell you, take that piece of shit off the table. I'd much rather give you one of mine. But that thing can't be in public. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, so, but that was me. That, well, that is me. That, that's me. I think, it all, I think it all boils down to um, the situation or the circumstance, right? Um, if it's a new maker and he's trying to emulate somebody he admires, much like I did when I was a younger maker, I don't think it's an issue. The, 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 the the person who is being copied is usually like, oh, wow, that's really nice. And they and you compliment them and you offer them advice on how to improve that piece if it needs improving. But there's a difference between a seasoned knife maker uh, blatantly plagiarizing other people's designs, which has happened several times and several makers I've seen this happen with. And everybody knows they're doing it, but they but should be on. making money because those knives look like other knife makers' knives. And yeah. they but look I've, like I've also so much that people are mistaking them for those knife makers' knives and purchasing them. Yes. Yes. Right. But I've also seen a complete decline, specifically in South Africa, um, mm. of that happening locally. Yeah, well, well Nielsen, I know... I haven't heard of a case... 
Yeah, I haven't heard of a case in at least the last five weeks. Me neither. I haven't, I haven't well, seen at, at least while, since man. November, December. Uh, because I think and, it is because guys are, are more active social media. The guys are seeing what they're doing. Um, yeah. And then if I want to copy... A, I mean, I showed you a drawing that I made uh, to emulate one of your Bowies, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah. Yeah, Stuart Smith Bowie. Um, and then I decided, you know, to my style, it was too easy. Because I... I <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's too like easy, it's man. It's going to be too quick. I need to make this more complicated. So that design is on the back burner. Uh, but I still want to do a, 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 a Stuart Smith-styled or inspired blade, man. I, I still definitely definitely want to do that. Um, who else is on here? Uh, there is another question. Three crosses. I'm just curious why they didn't... Uh, why I didn't... I don't hear them talk what? about uh, tempering the knife on the show. Um, uh, they do the, on, on Forge and Fire. The, the blades are tempered, and the blades are tempered by the, the most qualified person on the judging panel. Am I correct? To my knowledge, in between the first and the second round, in our case, I got a little curious as to why, but in our case, it, it was only about an hour temper cycle if I looked at my clock right. But in between the first and the second round, David Baker will take it because David, he's the one that does all the builds, right? Before to yeah. see if they'll fit in the time period required. He takes them um, or uh, Ben Abbott will take them, either one of those two. Uh, and they're the ones that put it in the kiln to do the tempering process. Then they'll, you know, once it's done, they'll take them out. And then the production crew takes them back and, you know, they, they hand them to each of us individuals to, to hold them. Um, it, it is that first round of judging goes on. So you, you see us all holding our blade and showing the blade. When we're doing that, at least in my case, I'm sure time-wise and scheduling-wise, other episodes might be a little different, but we were all holding a tempered blade while we were being judged for the first round go-home. Diane. Okay. Uh, uh, that's uh, I, I, all right. Because... Being and, and Neil, Neil and I, being who we are, we like to do our own tempering. And I don't know if they're trying to even the field by getting everybody's stuff tempered the same. And I know in a lot of the challenges that not everybody's using the same material. You know, so does Dave uh, sit back and take into account that some things ball bearing and something's 50 to 100, which are definitely tempered at different temperatures. Because if you temper 50 to 100 at the same as you do 5160, your 50 to 100 blade is going to break, you know? So do, do I don't know that, the do answer know to that. that into consideration? I don't I know can... the answer to that specifically, but knowing, yeah. knowing how, I, like I know the guy, great, I don't, but knowing how I know David and what a good guy he is, what a good heart, the same with Ben, I don't, I don't think they would be a part of a show that would intentionally sabotage like that. So I think, yeah. this is just my opinion of what I know about the guys, nothing factual. I think they would take those things into consideration. Different steels, different con construction requires a, a different situation. But again, I, I don't know that for a fact. But I also just want to jump in here and uh, just... On, on uh, Steve's comment yeah. Um you asked whether you could be involved in the heat treat and they told him not on his life um, I think what they would want to do 
um, is obviously not the risk, the reputation of the show. Um, the guys that are sitting in the technical advisors, for instance, uh, David Baker, uh, I mean, that guy knows what he's on about. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially the Mastersmiths on there. I mean, these guys, if they, you give four contestants four different types of material, they will not just go and uh, heat treat everything the same. Um, even if they do, you are still making the blade. And if you decide, for instance, on 5200, I'm building a big-ass chopper. If that comes out of the temper, you think I am going to trust someone else on the temper job he did and not yeah. draw the spine on a blade that's going to be fucking whacked on something? And that's yeah, something I, I don't too. see any of the guys doing. I'm not seeing anyone right, tempering yeah. or drawing back spines. Uh, I'm I've not seen it anyone once or twice. It's very rare. Drawing back a tangs. Only if they fucked up and they didn't pre-drill or they, they heated up the tang or didn't norm and normalizing. Is is that something that's happening? Yeah. Every it, now and then you see someone. I, I took I did three rounds of normalizing on mine, but it's you know, they're not gonna not a single I, shot it's, it's not good out of the forge and here I am in front of the fan. Yeah, this is great TV. <laughs> right? No. I did it and as soon as I did it, two other guys started doing it, and you know, all three of us are around the fan. Waving, waving our hot steel in front of the fan. It, doesn't, it just doesn't make good, good TV. Unless, unless, whenever you get called back, all right, you speak to the other three guys and you do like a song and dance around the fan while doing it. Because that'll be good TV and it'll make it in. <laughs> good, good, yeah. yeah. So show the guys that you actually know. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I know that you know what you're doing. <laughs> right. And once again, I'm pointing to the wrong freaking side man one day i'll get this right okay um so for the guys that don't know uh what what uh, they're watching we're now on just over an hour i'm not trying to rush you guys i just want to um do this you're watching blade talk yeah where we uh, invite people onto the show and myself and Stuart smith just roast them for an hour but we really <laughs> like Philip, so we don't want to screw with him. We try, yeah. we try. We I like take Philip. He, he looks like such a little kid now, man. Yeah, man. And and when you say Philip, who the hell is Philip? Um, what we're gonna do a uh, shameless plug, and it's not a shameless plug. Yeah, it's the least we can do for the gentleman. Um, seeing that he's spending a his morning and an hour of his morning already, uh, where he's supposed to be earning money. Yeah. Right. So, work in progress. Yeah, man. Have you got um, anything for show and tell? I do. Excellent. Well, bring it up, buddy. Let me get it. Is it a signature piece? I mean, the first time I heard that term, I thought look, that was a, a knife that you signed. So let's just put your signature on. My sig okay, signature okay, piece. But then once again, I need to say that that's my third world, third world education kicking in there. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry, it's shaping the uh -huh. hand. Okay, so that is a work in progress. Yes. I got to gotta start the guard. Ah, uh, it's a nice small nice. one, just the way I like them. <laughs> I don't well, like small blades. Piece, I like making big stuff. I, I don't know. That's just me. I mean, you know, okay, this, this is not big. This is normal. This is about the average, right? How long is the blade? Uh, 15, 16. That's a long one. Nah. Inches. That's a long one. That's a sword, man. 
Uh, that's just I a mean, piece of steel. It's still, it's still pretty. Is that Damascus? Yeah. It is. This is the yeah. second, second pattern weld of, of steel that I've made. I just, I wanted yeah, to make a bike of seeks, but I wanted it to be big. Yeah. So that's what that is. And then this one, nice. I've sat on this one for a while because oh I can't, I can't decide guard wise what I want to do with it. Ooh. Where's your drawing? What's that? <laughs> is that a guy. Pokemon dagger? This is, I made a, I, I've made three. This is my third dagger. Um, this is the exact same drawing as the second dagger that I made, but I want to do something different on the guard and the ornaments. That's that's why I'm stalled on this one. But it's it's powered okay, so, welded as well. So let me help you there. Yeah. No drawing equals no plan equals you're going to fart around and lose time. And that's why that's been you don't there have me. a plan, brother. That's why you it's don't have a plan. Sit in your ass for 20 minutes, make a plan. Don't yeah? listen to him. Make it the way you want to make it. Just let it happen. <laughs> don't listen to Neil. Make a Pokemon dagger. Sorry, <laughs> 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 if, if you don't know the reference. Um, I started calling uh, knives that evolve on the anvil Pokemon knives because the only <laughs> shit that evolves is a Pokemon. Yeah, so they, they generally refer, refer to as Pokemon uh, knives um, and uh, they can only be sold to millennials. <laughs> Organic knives. Organic knife making 100% gluten free. Yeah, gluten free knives. <laughs> You see me headbanging my steel. forehead on my desk. Bonk. Yeah, so I need to do to do oh. the sound effects as well. Just man, that knife. If you sell it to a millennial, should come with an instruction on explaining onto him how he should just take a step back from a wall and then just bang his head onto the wall and repeat yeah? until you, you come. He so, feels so better. <laughs> Sorry, uh, this is also a show where we dish on stupidness. Yeah, just, man, common sense. This, this is the thing. Common sense in my shop is classified as a freaking superpower. Every yeah. weekend when I still taught, when I was allowed to teach, uh, gatherings more than 10 people, um, man, I literally handed out like stickers, big ass freaking Black Dragon Forge sticker that says, you've survived a day at the shop. Why? Because you used your brain. You weren't stupid. Because in yeah. every class, man, there's that one guy. And that one guy oh, has boy. two or three friends. <laughs> and they all visit at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I had a guy, this is just a plain example, wearing safety glasses as a fashion statement. Yeah? And he drops his piece of steel that's in the forge, and he bends down. Comes back. There's no hair. Except when he had his safety glasses. No! Yeah, I mean, and and this was about two hours in, yeah, and he, he lifted up his safety for some other fucking weird reason, yeah, and and both myself and Sean just turned away for that split second, and damn, done. And I've even got a fine in the shop if I catch you without safety glasses on the floor. In other words, in between the anvil and uh, the forge. That's money. 
and you've already paid real good money to be there. Yeah. And my yes. first instruction to the guy is, you are here to learn, so you might as well just open your ears and actually take note, yeah, and, and be teachable. But it's also one of the prerequisites in my class. But anyway, so that was my rant. Second one for the freaking episode. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> uh, I want to want to do this hardest lesson learned. Patience. Hardest lesson. I mean, this this is just with life in general. But everything. It's patience. Be slow and steady and consistent, and be patient with the growth and development. That's 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 the hardest. That's just the life lesson in general with everything. That's hard for me because I'm so I'm so go 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 go. Just rush into it, get it going. You'll learn as you go. No no, slow down. Patient. We we talk about uh, leveling up in knife making. All right, um, and uh, Stuart, I'm going to put you on the spot with the same thing. Yeah, so uh, lesson learned, buddy. What was the hardest lesson for you to learn, but with the added twist that forced you to level up in knife making? Um, well, it's, I think it's something you're currently going through more than anything, uh, is measuring. Okay, now, if you know the calamity of my 48-hour dagger, I was focusing on one part, the guard, and then I focused one part, the spacer, and then I focused on one part, the pommel, and how they all joined up together. But never once did I pick up the knife and hold it up and check that everything was straight. As a result, I have four beautifully fitted pieces on my handle, which are skewed. They're off-center by about five to six millimeters, and it's noticeable, and it bugs the shit out of me, and it annoys the crap out of me because I didn't check. And I'll tell you something, I've made that mistake a couple of times before, but it's been so small that it's, it's, not, it's not really a much of an issue. But on this one, on a giant 14-inch Damascus dagger that I could get easily you know, $1,200 to $1,400 for, I can't sell it now because it's fucked up. So I have to take the $60 block of, uh, with the current mode of exchange, Niels will feel this more than Philip will, but the $60 block of the Arizona Desert Ironwood and I have to smash it all because I glued it together. Yeah. And uh, also, I've overground it. I can't use it for anything else. It's only in a very specific shape, you know. And I've got to rip off the uh, Damascus fittings, and I'm going to pull off the, the guard that I took. I actually refitted twice because the first fitting had gaps in it, but that was the 48-hour build issue. I did it too quickly in order to finish it. So I went back, and I fixed it. It took me a day to fix just the guard and get the lines fit snugly. But I'm okay with that now because, I, first of all, I've, I've gone through the five stages of grief of now removing <laughs> my handle. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Anger, sadness, blame, resentment, and now acceptance, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to pull it off. I've got something better in mind. I'm going to put a traditional ball guard on it, like a traditional Arkansas toothpick rather than a Randall-style toothpick. And I'm going to put a different style handle on it. And I think it's going to be a superior knife. So my very, very hard lesson was stop. Whatever you're doing, stop. Check everything straight. You know, that's 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 my big tip for the for 2020, you know. So focus on the, the big picture. Sorry? The same thing when you have sex with your wife. Stop making sure everything's straight. <laughs> You don't want to be picking that book with a, a piece of spaghetti. I, I, we, we maybe need to stop 
<laughs> so Sean is saying that he's loving your dagger, dude. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. And then we've got uh, Mark saying the Texas way. Make it big or go home and seeing that you're stuck at home. How's your uh, lockdown been? Are you guys in lockdown? Uh, yes. yes and no. So, I mean, we're Texas. We don't pay attention to rules. We're on lockdown, but everybody's saying, screw that. We do what we want. I, I'm not going to argue with the Texas. Um, our county, I don't, I don't know state and county-wise how you guys are structured, but we, we have a county, and we have a county judge, and that county judge is a lunatic, in my opinion, um, and they're, they're mandating we that you those. wear a mask, and if you don't wear a mask, you can get a thousand. I'm sorry. You do get a thousand dollar, and you can get imprisonment for the next thirty days. Yeah. Ask me if well, I've worn a mask in public. <laughs> well, it's mandatory, yeah. So we're all wearing masks. Well, I am anyway. I, I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not I mean, saying have, you know, take, be, be safe. Absolutely, be safe. But I, I have a little bit of a of an authority defiance syndrome, and our, like I said, our legal structure is a little different, and we got a little thing called the Constitution here. And you can't tell me, you cannot mandate me to wear a mask. It's that's completely unconstitutional. So yeah, that that's the difference. First world country, third world country. Yeah. We have got um, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I want to um, see. Chung, Chung. And uh, but the the big thing here is that uh, if ministers can overwrite the president. Um, then, well, your constitution means nothing. Yeah? yeah? Okay, so my wife got to play, and I got <laughs> the coolest freaking face mask ever. Now, I did say nice. that I wanted nice. a larger one and that should have dangly bits at the bottom, because then I walk around <laughs> like this. <laughs> you look like this a was puppet. the prototype. It was obviously a bit small, and there is an entire <laughs> drawer nice. full. Yeah. That's nice. So if anyone needs the plans for a uh, face mask, a two-layer face mask made from an old T-shirt, um, my youngest son has a school project. Now, they obviously have a school um, still, uh, but it's now online, seeing they can't get to school. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so one of his projects was to go and research and then find how to make a mask that you don't have to stitch. So a two-layer mask and blah, 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 out of cotton material and, and that. Um, so you came across the plans. I had to print them. And uh, then uh, they went, well, where are we going to find some old T-shirts we can just cut up? Yeah, so I have a lot less shop clothes. <laughs> a lot less. <laughs> My wife just went mad, man. She'd like, cut one up. She's like, will this fit? No, it doesn't. Okay. She goes back and says, and always the logo. Right, so you know she's not cutting up the same shirt. She's now cutting up a new shirt. Sure. I mean, another one. Can this thing can wrap around my head twice. No, it's, it's maybe a bit big. Not thinking, hey, measure the... They just are cutting everything to smith. I think I lost like 15 shirts, man. <whistles> not, not that I care, because all of those uh, I personally refer to as holy shirts. I mean, you know that one shirt you always go to when you make Damascus? Yeah, the one that your yeah. wife says, I am going to toss it. If it see it in the oh, wash, it's, it's gonna go. So you just don't have it washed. Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what else have we got? Uh, you guys continue chatting. I want to go through comments quickly. Um, uh, we we've pretty much covered anything. 
All right, so yeah. on equipment, I am going to go uh, with Stuart first and then, Philip, if you wouldn't mind giving me your own list. So five, five pieces of kit that you personally started with. So you didn't start with a belt grinder. Or if you were lucky enough to start with a belt grinder, then please name the grinder. Yeah. But what did you start with? What did you end up making your first knife with? All right. The five pieces of kit you had in your shop when you started. Okay. And. All right. So I started way back when I was 16 with a file filing another file. But that, I don't really count that as my first knife because it's still sitting there. I've not finished it. But the first knife I made was after my course with Kevin Harvey. And uh, I, my father-in-law was very generous and he bought me a Herbst grinder. So I got a grinder straight off the bat because it was something I was very interested in and he was making an attempt to uh, bond with me. So he bought me a Herbst grinder and I had a desktop drill press. I had um, a forge that I made myself with my dad. It had a BMW Bosch motor fan at the bottom and an ash catcher, and it was a coal forge. And uh, I, I think one of the most crucial things that I made was an off duck to forge under so that I didn't get sunburn and I went to forge outside. So I count that as part of my uh, my workshop because my tools were all in a two-meter by two-meter woodshed we call a Wendy hut. And uh, that was very small. And my grinder, my big grinder, and the draw press and shell and stock and belts were all nailed to the walls. And then right outside that was my off duck with the, uh, the forge. So yeah, those so, are the guys I started with. All right. So just for Philip's sake, uh, an off duck is a lean-to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. so Philip, excellent, man. Thank you for counting the, the lean-to. Um, my, that was my, my the first thing that I built. Yeah, that, that was the first thing I built uh, when I decided to uh, start knife making. I didn't invest money in kit. I just went and built myself a lean-to so that I wouldn't be um, damaging the gray stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my wife is still debating whether it actually worked. Yeah, but <laughs> Philip, buddy. So what did you start with? So I started with a, uh, a 4 by 36 inch i don't know what it converts to uh grinder they i got from a very very cheap uh hardware store here called harbor freight it was like 30 30 40 bucks it was horrible it was absolutely horrible uh, <laughs> very first knife i ever made took 37 hours to finish i can now make that exact same knife in three hours so that just gives you an idea of how slow that grinder was so i had that grinder I uh, had a very small 55-inch um, uh, soft, mild steel anvil that was horrible. Um, I now have that. I still use it, but it's for leatherworking and peening rivets and leatherworking. Um, and then the, the, the forge, I still have the same forge. I, I have a big two-compartment barbecue pit that I bought burners from Alex Steele back in the day when he was making burners when he was still in, in the U.K., uh, we like Alex Steele. Say again? Alec, Rock, Alex, Alec Rocks, man. He is. He's a good guy. I mean, he's really busy, but even back then, he took the time, and we were chatting back and forth and answering questions and just you know, kind of getting to know each other a little bit. So that, 
that went a long way with me. Um, and then just with those, you know, normal hammer and tongs, um, with those, I, I worked enough and saved up enough to get the first main piece of equipment. And that's, I, I splurged and, and got a TW90 grinder and I still have that one today. And it's, that's, that's a beast. I love that machine. So you're still running the TW90? Still running the TW90. I forgot to add mm, the most I... crucial tool in my workshop. Forgot, and we all forget. The anvil. Funny, my funny hand thing. Hand. My hammer and my anvil. The, 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 I don't say funny, the sad or ironic situation. Like I said, when I went on Forge and Fire, the, the, to me, the whole thing was like, for, just go, compete. First round, I'm out. I come back home. Fantastic. So... When I make the finals, as soon as I get back to the hotel room, I'm calling my wife saying, I need to buy an anvil because I, <laughs> I didn't have an anvil. I had this stupid 55 pound anvil. So over break. And this is during Christmas. So everything's closed. I'm freaking out. Where am I going to find an anvil? So about two hours away, I found one that was open. I went and I just I, I, it's a, a Clifford Carroll. It's nothing fancy. It's decent. But I, it's a thousand dollars. Take my take my money. I need it. So, and that's that's the one I have still today. I was not supposed to go past the first round, <laughs> dude. That is freaking awesome, man. That is absolutely awesome. So, how many of the guys on on that's part of the show knew that you didn't have, have an anvil going in? Nobody. And this was the first time anything public has ever been said. So when, when the film crew gets there, my brand new shiny anvil is there ready to go and nobody knows any difference. So I've always <laughs> had that anvil. Oh, excellent. Excellent. You obviously take really, really good care of that anvil. It looks like brand new. Yeah? I do. I, that's that's kind of one of those I splurged on it. The $1,000, know, that's not a lot uh, of money, but it's not money. It's just First real good anvil I've ever had. So, yeah, I'm taking care of it as best I can. So, to give you an idea what $1,000, all right, we, we had a chat earlier about um, the exchange rate. So, yeah. uh, a bread in South Africa, you can buy a bread for 12 rand, which is 64 US, US cents. Wow. All right. So, $1,000, let me just quickly do the math here because I really suck so i'm using my computer a thousand dollars is eighteen thousand rand eighteen thousand uh eighteen thousand seven hundred and eighty eight rand so that is i'd say about three times the average average salary for the average south african so salary for one week or a month no no a month wow yeah. Third world. Third world. That's yeah. why we love the Blade Show. I mean, so I, I, we said earlier, um, so $6,000, which is the amount of stock that I'm sitting with at the moment that I can't ship, is over 100,000 Rand. And that will keep me. Floating, keeping me comfortable for at least four months. And and this is yeah. my for me, my wife, the two kids, school fees, everything. That'll float everyone for four months. Hmm. 
All right, six thousand dollars for for you. Look, it's it's a lot of money. It is a lot of freaking money. Here's a perspective thing for you guys. I bought my Anvil in two thousand for four hundred rand. Oh yeah, that translates twenty dollars, Philip. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Before Anvil, I tell you something. When people ask before Forge and Fire and the Anvil prices got stupid. Yeah, yeah. I, I say to people the same thing. I said, Forged in Fire was the best thing about Forged in Fire is it made everybody aware of bladesmiths and knife making in general. The worst thing that Forged in Fire ever did was make everybody aware of bladesmiths and knife making because yep. now suddenly all knife making tools, all anvils, before Forged in Fire came out, any one of us could afford an anvil because nobody wanted yes. them. Now suddenly everybody likes anvils. And they like forged in fire, and they want they want the anvil in their garden so that they can play. And and suddenly, hey, there's a demand for anvils, and the price of anvils literally overnight skyrocketed. And guys who actually need them, like bladesmiths, like myself, I needed. I've had several anvils over the years, but I had to sell them all because of bad months, you know. And I, the last anvil I sold was amazing. I sold it for like six grand, you know. It was it was the most amazing thing. Or well, six thousand rand. Real money. Six thousand. Dollars, yeah, and for us, to me, that's real money, and it's not what I pay for it, you know. And yeah. because of the price, it's ever appreciating. And I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna invest in something, invest in anvils because the price only seems to be going up, you know. Yeah. All right, so here is another segment, and I think we will pretty much close with this. So uh, from yeah. Mister Stuart Smith, yeah, give me a maker's tip. No, don't mute yourself. No, no, I was. Give me a tip. Maker's tip. Maker's tip, always, always make sure you're wearing leather shoes in the shop. Don't wear Crocs. Don't wear sandals. Uh, I know three makers who forge in flip-flops. I have third-degree burned scars on the top of my feet, even though I was wearing leather shoes. And uh, the flux got into my shoe. But I was so busy forging the Damascus, I just stuck my foot in the water bucket and carried on working. The end of the day, I forgot about it, and when I pulled off my stock, all the skin came off too. So please protect your feet, people. You have to stand on them, and you don't want giant purple scars all over your feet. Yeah, <laughs> those. It's the same with your gloves. You get flux in your gloves, and you do the do the blacksmith the blacksmith jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's another tip. Okay, so this will be my tip. Um, If you ever forge, when you forge, and you go and you buy these funky, nice welding gloves, yeah, make sure not to buy them like you would buy latex gloves, nice and tight. Always buy a size oversized. Because if leather gets hot, it shrinks. By the time it is hot enough to start shrinking, you haven't felt the heat yet. And it shrinks around your finger, and then it burns until it stops burning. <laughs> yeah. So that's why you buy them oversized. And as soon as you feel, look, this hand is getting tight, you just shake the glove off. Good. So in my shop, guys are required to not use long gloves, but short gloves. Yeah. So you can still feel the heat, and uh, it just helps the mind not be stupid. Um, and it's one of the reasons I don't forge. I personally don't forge with gloves. Um, when I just do normal forging, but when I forge weld, dude, I look like the Michelin man. 
I am padded <laughs> on padding and padding. I have two professional welding jackets um, that I wear with long sleeve gloves. Um, I have got uh, burn proof clothing over my arms because all of this marks on my arms are not beauty spots. We call them yeah. Damascusitis. What's your yeah. tip, Philip? So, Philip. Forge with confidence, not arrogance. You can be the most confident person in the world, and that's great. That's good. Know what you're doing, but always have the mindset of you can always learn more. Always grow from somebody else's information and experience. So forge with confidence, not arrogance. I'm trying to picture somebody forging arrogantly. <laughs> I used to do it all the time. <laughs> it's more like a joking move. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. So if you were wondering who this gentleman is at this point in time, yeah. This is it. Go and follow Philip Gansey's website. Send him a mail. If you like, you, you've seen two blades that he's currently working on. How many blades do you currently have that is available for sale? Oh, for sale? Oh, man. Uh, 40? The answer would be... Yeah, okay. Good, oh, good answer. Good answer. So, I mean, I've, I've had nothing but time. So, I mean, that's all I've been working on. All our shows are canceled. You know, sales are down. So, all I'm doing is banging out inventory. So when everything gets back to normal, woo, here we go. So yeah, I've, I've got about right, 40. So I am working on a uh, live uh, knife show. They're pretty much the same format, all right, where you will get a specific time shot. And I will give you, let's call it 20 minutes. At the moment, it's 15 minutes, but I think 15 minutes is going to be a bit less. Where it's only going to be you and me on screen. I won't be selling anything. Yeah, I will be the last person to actually show stuff but i will just bring you in and say philip brother all right here you go you've got 15 minutes and you will be in this format where you can showcase two blades i like it that's a good idea people through two good. blades yeah um and we'll have stuff like this set up where you can get go and and uh get in contact with the the maker himself uh but i want the maker to walk the guys through um uh, uh a show and then obviously you have a place where those uh, those knives are available for purchase immediately blah 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 yeah like it okay so you're yeah. in that's yeah, my man. question that's great definitely Excellent, buddy all right so we'll start getting that list together i know that mr stuart smith is in i don't even have to ask him um and if he had any issues with that um i'll speak to his wife yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right philip brother stuart Buddy, once again, thank you both, gentlemen, for joining me. Um, and uh, Stuart, your sound, dude, is incredible. You know, I like the knives at the back there. <laughs> and, and, and Philip, just, dude, one thing I'm, I'm wanting to see on your uh, wall at the back there is a knife on the shelf. You know, like the elf on the shelf? I need a knife on the shelf, buddy. There is a knife on my shelf. Knife on my shelf. Oh, <laughs> the lesser spotted D3. I wonder who made that. Why, is that true? Why would you buy that? Why would you pay money for that? Uh, it's a paperweight. This is the first yeah. knife that I've actually ever bought from any other maker, and it's the only knife I've ever bought from another maker. What a privilege. Serious? Well done, Neil. Yeah. Dude, I am on it. I am really, really on it. I just haven't had a chance to get one of Stuart's, but there's nobody else that I really want to collect. I'm not a collector. I don't like collecting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, I still need one of your blades. You know that. 
I I'm am, on, on the other hand, I am a collector. Um, and then on that note, um, I'm going to show you the blade that I promised you. It was all packaged up, ready to ship to you. Um, and, uh, well, no, the world ended. there's the blade. Nice. Mm. All right. So I've got the original drawing for this thing um, that I did in 2016. I forged that blade in 2016. Um, and I said, I am not going to finish it. Um, I offered it to Philip. And uh, whatever he does with it, if he decides to keep it as is or to make it and then keep it or to make it and sell it, dude, that's your thing. Yeah. So more on that little project. Um, well, when I can get it to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. We're going to stop this thing right here. I appreciate everyone's time, your efforts. Um, and, and you guys rock, man. Thank you for joining me. Um, have a good one. And uh, I'm going to give each of you time just to uh, just to sign out. Yeah, Stuart, go for it, buddy. Thanks a lot for watching. Follow me on Instagram at Smith and Forge Knives. Follow me on YouTube at Smith and Forge Knives, and follow me on Facebook at Smith and Forge Knives. And you need to send me your logo so we can do an end screen for you, buddy. Copy that. Aha, uh -huh. Philip, are you? Oh, there's my girl. Thanks for the opportunity, Niels. I deeply appreciate it. Check out the Mundane Rockstar on YouTube. Follow me on Instagram, Be Ready Blade Works. Also Facebook, Be Ready Blade Works. And say bye. Bye. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time, for your patience, for the two gentlemen that joined me, Philip and Stuart. I really, really appreciate that. Um, and that is it. Have fun, enjoy, and we'll catch you.